Blog Talk Radio. Corruption. Racism. Xenophobia. White supremacy. Healthcare protections hanging by a thread. Law enforcement encouraged to commit acts of brutality. Peaceful people being separated from their families. And at the helm, a man beholden to Russia who is so unhinged that his actions could actually lead us to nuclear war. Join Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, That's Right, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. Together we must stand against the destruction of this country and the ideals we hold dear. Before it's too late. Zimmerman coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's area code 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. And you can always join us in the chat room on the show page or the episode page at blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. You can also, leave, if you're listening after the live broadcast, leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc over on the show thread at liberaldan.com, on facebook.com slash liberaldan, and, of course, at liberaldanradio on Twitter. Uh, this week, uh, the bottom half of this hour, I'll be having on a candidate for president for the Libertarian Party. And that should be an interesting conversation. Look forward to it. Our first presidential candidate uh, to come on the show. Uh, but first, before that, we're going to be talking about issues pertaining to uh, the coronavirus and to, uh, the, obviously, the Democratic primary, which we had several more. We were supposed to have four yesterday, but three took place. The governor of Ohio and the health department said, look, this is too dangerous. We do not want to continue on with these things. Florida, you know, they had a lot of absentee early ballots. I guess they figured it was not as much of a threat as they thought it would be. So they allowed Florida to go on, as well as Illinois and Arizona. And to nobody's surprise, Joe Biden continued his sweep going on, winning all three contests, uh, putting himself further in the lead, uh, continuing to build upon uh, that lead and what Bernie Sanders now has an even more insurmountable hole, which leads me to tweet uh, to, to the much to the chagrin of a lot of my friends on Facebook who do not like the fact that uh, Bernie is losing um, and they think it's rigged against him. And it's unfortunate that they feel that way. I, I, there were some shenanigans in 2016, yes, and I was critical of them back then. But in reality, we have a situation where Bernie Sanders for two elections in a row has made two unforced errors, the same unforced error in each one where he didn't go after the Southern states. And by doing so, he put himself in that insurmountable hole. Now, maybe fool me once, shame on you. Fool me, fool me twice, shame on me. 
Um, you know, the first time around, maybe uh, Sanders was not uh, understanding of what was going on. Maybe he didn't quite get the fact that you need to compete for all these delegates. That's what Obama did. I've talked about this before. But 2017, 2018, 2019, beginning of 2020, where was he? Where was he in the South? Where was he trying to get people from the South to support him, to understand his message, support his message, to get to drum up support amongst the black community? Because that's basically what it comes down to. A lot of this, it's not a majority necessarily, but there's a very large chunk of the Southern Democratic primary voters that are black voters and if you're not outreaching to them you are not you're going to have problems in in not only winning the primary but you're going to have problems winning in the general election why were they going to come out to you if you haven't reached out for them uh, what have you done for me lately is what they would say now they could look at joe biden and they can say oh well you know Joe Biden is somebody who is a known quantity. He was Barack Obama's vice president. We know him. We like him. He may not be perfect. And nobody is. Obviously, Bernie's not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Biden's not perfect. But he's the one that we know. He's the one that brought us to the dance. And so we, we have, they have no reason to go support somebody else simply because of the fact that he's has these ideas that maybe they support, maybe they don't, but there's been no outreach. Why? At least not enough. Clearly not enough. You look at Mississippi again, he couldn't even break 15% in Mississippi. So, well, I'm not necessarily, I'm not, I'm not a health expert. I'm not going to be saying that, uh, you know, whether or not it's safe or unsafe to hold a primary in particular ones. Uh, of course, there are Bernie Sanders supporters who are supporting this, pushing the same link on me, where they say, oh, well, Joe Biden encouraged people to go out and vote. Well, Joe Biden encouraged people to go vote safely, and he also encouraged elections to be held in a more safe way, allow people to vote by absentee, allow people to vote uh, so that they could just drop it off at the curb and don't have to come in and actually talk to anybody, be within six feet of anybody, et cetera. So there's, you know, so, so there's a little bit of mis- misleading there, but that was their response to me, me basically saying, look, there's no path. Bernie has no path. Now, after Super Tuesday, I was, you know, I was like, you know, Bernie, I think at this point has lost it, but there doesn't seem to be a path. There doesn't seem to be a way out of this. That was what, March 4th? Then you got weeks, you know, the next week, more states. The next week, more states. How many more states can Bernie lose and not have, and and understand that he doesn't have a way out, understand he doesn't have a path to victory. It does not exist. If he wants to stay in because he might be under the hopes of, somebody says, somebody suggested on on one of my pages, on my personal page, that, well, maybe he'll die and, and, and then Bernie will be on the one left. Well, guess what? That's why you withdraw from the race instead of um, just quitting the race. You withdraw, uh, you temporarily withdraw from the race uh, that basically ends 
the campaigning, at which point you can shut everything down. You don't have to have people coming out to vote in the middle of a pandemic. Look, if there was a way for Bernie to stay in and win, fine. I'm not going to begrudge him to trying to win. He believes he has the best platform. He believes he's the best candidate to beat Donald Trump. Then if, he, if there's a way for him to win, then by all means, stay in. But there's no way for him to win. He would have to get over 60% now in the remaining states. And it's just not going to happen because he can't even get above 40 in, in, in big states. I mean, Biden creamed him in Florida. Absolute toast. Done. Crispy. Just done. There's no reason for him to stay in, in, in the race anymore. And I think, it's, I think it's responsible, not just for health reasons. I think it's responsible for party unity reasons. I mean, if he is somebody who... You know, he's caucused with the Democratic Party. He hasn't been a registered Democrat, but he caucuses with the Democratic Party. And I would say he's more of a Democrat than maybe your, your, your Joe Manchin's out there. And he can't, you know, it, it's, it's time for, if he really wants to defeat Donald Trump, if he really wants to make sure that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, whenever she does decide to retire, that she can be replaced by somebody who's a liberal. The only way you do that is by electing a, a Democrat and, and the president and flipping the Senate blue. It's the only way that happens. So do it. Get it done. Simple as that. Let's go ahead and take the first commercial break. Uh, come back, take more of your calls as well. Uh, 914-803-4131. It's 914-803-4131. This is Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But BudgetEars is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. In a world gone mad, one progressive will do a bad movie trailer guy impression to get you to listen to his show. There's only one thing that I like better than the Liberal Dan Radio minicast, all right, Bill, that's enough of that. On the Liberal Dan Radio minicast, you will hear an honest discussion of the day's issues with some personal bits in between. You might even hear what the other side has to say, sometimes even in their own voices. So become one of the Liberal Dan family, because family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. To hear those bad impressions and more, tune into the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. Talk from the left, that's right. And I think to myself, what a wonderful show. Mm, yeah. 
Are you someone who is looking to get into the ride-sharing business, be it for a side hustle or a full-time gig? Are you currently a ride-share driver wondering how to increase your earnings? Are you simply a new rider looking for first-time rider credits? Head on over to RideshareDan.com for those first-time rider credits, sign-up bonuses for new drivers, and my tips and tricks to help you make more money in the gig economy. Greetings. This is Nimbus Josh, host of the Percy Podcast. What is the Percy Podcast? <laughs> well, it's pretty much the smoothest talking host you'll ever hear in your life talking about all kinds of things, political things, nerdy things, fun things, not so fun things. Go ahead, give a listen, and follow at the Percy Podcast for more updates and information. Why not sit back and take a listen to one of the best podcasts you'll ever hear and no one else will. <laughs> Catch you on the tune. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, That's Right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation is 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. Do you need to correct one statement that I made before the break? That is uh, when a candidate wants to uh, to uh, deal with a possibility of, of not wanting to continue to campaign, but not wanting to just flat out quit the campaign. It's not withdraw. It's suspend. They suspend their campaign in order to be able to kind of stay in the race uh, technically, even though you're not campaigning anymore. So suspending the campaign is what uh, you would be looking for, not uh, withdrawing from the race. That's my bad. I misspoke. So um, speaking of, you know, the horribleness that this president's caused, though, in, in terms of this both immigration and racism and all this other crap. Uh, I was listening to my uh, favorite conservative show to get clips from and happened to hear this little bit of beauty or lack thereof. Let's listen to it, shall we? And now, this week's words of redneck wisdom. Brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. Up in Covington, where I live, um, there were many of these little time saver stores, I call them. Uh, they're all owned by um, either either Arabs or Mexicans. There's one that's not, only one. They just bought out, a, a couple of years ago, a tire store that was owned by, um, it was the body shop. And these people... This, I know this for a fact. They're not paying taxes. They don't. They don't have to get a tax stamp. Uh, and in seven years, all they have to do is turn it over to a family member, and they don't pay taxes. That's one heck of an advantage. Um, and we have two Latino groceries that's popped up around here. What do they specialize in? Sending money back to Honduras and Mexico and all those countries down there that's a that's a big deal it, when you go into any emergency room even on this north shore that they, they always they are always in there and you walk in you get behind them 
said they are first, they're going to get waited on. And to me, that's a big deal. So Doug is right on the money. We should just don't hire these people. Uh, make them go home. Um, Jeff? You have just heard more words of redneck wisdom brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Wow, it's just so many just ridiculous comments there. First of all, don't hire them. The people that he's talking about people are, own, are people who own businesses. So they don't, they don't need you to be hiring them. They've already hired themselves. But the whole other thing is just that, you know, tell them to go home. A lot of these people, this is their home. They're not necessarily first-generationers. They are people whose maybe parents have been here. Maybe their grandparents were here. They're starting a business. It's supposed to be the American dream. And if they're in the emergency room first, unless your situation is much more drastic than theirs, guess what? They should be treated first. That's how it works. Privileged white MFers, as I would say. Ugh. And just because I don't think I'll have time to, uh, to do both bits, the second bit in the next segment, uh, let's go ahead and we'll also uh, got my hypocrite of the week. Just because if, if you didn't think that the coronavirus would enable you to find hypocrites, in, in especially Congress, well, you have a bridge in Brooklyn, I'd like to say. This week's hypocrite of the week is Mitch McConnell, who says that we cannot afford partisan politics as usual because of the coronavirus outbreak. Meanwhile, Mitch McConnell is calling on older conservative judges to resign so Donald Trump can name new younger ones for long appointments. How's that for being partisan? To see who next week's Hypocrite of the Week will be, tune into Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left That's Right, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. And there you go. Good old Mitch. Uh, gotta love Mitch, the uh, same idiot who said, oh, no, we, we're, uh, we can't uh, confirm a judicial nomination in the last year of her presidency, last year of a term. That just doesn't happen. And then when asked, would he do it for Donald Trump? Oh, yeah, sure. We'll do it. Absolutely, they'll do it. Because he is a hypocrite, much like the rest of them. And look, there's plenty of Democrats in the Senate who are hypocrites, too. Simply, if you just simply look at all those people who were hypocrites on the nuclear option, who complain about its use when they're not in power, and then threaten its use or actually use it when you are. So you can't do one without the other. You can't open Pandora's box and then complain when other people use what was in there. Vice versa, same thing. So I'm sure when it happens, when when if, if there if we do manage to flip the Senate blue, which becomes harder if. Bernie is the nominee. Of course, Bernie's not going to be the nominee because he has no path. Um, but I think it's much easier to flip the Senate blue if you have Joe Biden as the candidate. That's not the only reason to support him, but it is a pretty darn good reason. Um, because Bernie Sanders, uh, he gets replaced by uh, the Republican governor of Vermont, who will likely pick a Republican to replace him. And, well, that just means that the work on Democrats and other States is going to be much harder if you don't have Bernie retained. It's one of the reasons why you might not see Elizabeth Warren uh, be a vice presidential candidate because I'd, re- I'd really rather see speak uh, Senate Majority Leader Warren. That's probably better. Not that I would mind 
Vice President Warren. That would be nice too. Uh, so let's see. That's eight twenty. So we got our twenty minutes after the hour. That's just as as they say in radio biz, uh, because this you could be listening in different time zones, and as such, it could be very confusing. Uh, from what I've learned from listening to other shows, where you want to say twenty minutes after the hour and not uh, not the specific time that is in your time zone. So we've still got a couple more minutes to talk about this uh, coronavirus presidential election down here in New Orleans. Um, you know, we've we've pretty much closing almost everything down. You can go to uh, in Louisiana, you can go to restaurants to pick up food, but you can't sit in. Uh, they made that change real quick. You have what you call it. You have um, not lot, lots of things shutting down. Lots of restaurants that are shutting down because they can't handle the takeout portion of the business. So they're shutting these these stores are shutting down. These restaurants are shutting down. Bars are shutting down, uh, or operating at a very bare minimum. Um, where I work, uh, they had to furlough two of the individuals that was working with us um, and uh, they have cut our hours. So we are making a little less uh, money uh, hour wise and a little bit less money. Uh, they said, look, we're going to have to pay you, reduce your pay 25%, but that means you'll stay on, which I guess in the grand scheme of things, it could be much worse. So we'll make do. Um, hopefully, uh, some something passed the Senate today. I didn't get a chance to go read it fully, so I don't really want to talk about it completely. But um, aid is potentially coming. The fact that you have Trump agreeing with Romney, let alone agreeing with other people, I mean, it might not be the levels that the Democrats want to see. The Democrats might want to see more uh, than what the Republicans are willing to give. However, something's better than nothing. Um, I just I'm just wondering, and I asked on Twitter, you know, what what happens if somebody gets a check? Uh, they don't have access to a bank account where they could like do a deposit online. They have to go to a check cashing case. That means they have to hope that the check cashing place is up and running. And then if so many people are going to the check cashing place at the same time, then you wind up having new vectors of uh, virus transmission, which is not good. So you have to get the people the money though. So you have to give them the help that they need because you're going to have a lot of people that are going to be sick. A lot of people, that are not wanting to get sick. Uh, a lot of places that are going to be closed. A lot of people are going to be unemployed, and it's a tough time. And and you know, I posted on on my Facebook page, and this is one thing I boosted. I spent a little bit of money boosting it, uh, and people were just angry about me boost. Why is this spam showing up on my thread? Well, uh, it's Facebook, and Facebook you see sponsored ads all the time because that's how Facebook makes money. I don't want to see this. And then, uh, so I made the rhetorical point. I was like, look, if you have a situation where you have um, coworkers or friends or other people who are trying to uh, say that we are overreacting here with the coronavirus and that we shouldn't be taking actions, why should we take actions? Uh, I said, look, apply Pascal's wager. Now, Pascal's wager on religious things is this, is that, is there a God? Is there not a God? Why should you believe in a God or not? Pascal's wager states, look, if you believe in a God and no God exists, nothing bad happens. If you believe in a God and God exists, 
follow the rules, then you're going to go to the good place. If you don't believe in God and no God exists, nothing bad happens. If you don't believe in God and God does exist, and you get punished for it, something bad happens. So you're better off believing in God than not believing in God, according to Pascal's wager, because the, the you're, you're, you're going to either end up breaking even or in a good place instead of breaking even or in a bad place. Now, obviously, obviously there are fallacies with that, but I'm focusing on these these people who are thinking that we're overreacting. These people who are thinking we're overreacting and don't want to listen to scientists are people who might be swayed on the real ways of Pascal's wager. And as such, they might be swayed on this one too. If you take all the steps and it's a big hoax, nothing happens. If you take all the steps and it's a legitimate threat, but you prevent big problems from happening, good. It's a positive. Uh, if we don't do anything at all and it's a big hoax and nothing happens, no harm, no foul. But if you don't do anything and it's a hoax, it's not a hoax, millions die. So taking action implies less harm. Not taking action has the risk of much more harm. So take action. And of course, again, this is targeted at the people who would normally believe in a Pascal's wager type scenario who would, you know, mistrust science. So if they, if they, if they trust science, by all means, give them the science and let them know. And then they'll be like, okay, I'll stay home. But if they don't trust the science, and they want some other explanation of why they should behave a certain way, I think this is good. And people have been liking it, disliking it. I've had a lot of likes, several new page likes from it, which is the probably the most important thing from that, uh, beyond maybe getting people to listen and to trust that the scientists are right and trust. That, oh, I had somebody on, my, on, that, on that response. Um, somebody was talking about, 5G. I don't get the whole thing with the five. Why is 5G such a threat? Uh, oh, it's not tested, so we're gonna die. It's government brain control or whatever it is. Wear your tinfoil hat. So who knows with what these people believe and why they believe it? But at the end of the day, more people who listen, the less people this disease is gonna spread to, and the less uh, people that are gonna be sick and die. Um, and that's the thing. That's, that's the that's the biggest thing about, you know, we deal with this with hurricanes all the time down here, where you get a hurricane threat, everyone evacuates, nothing happens. Well, guess what? Nothing happens. Then everyone's maybe less likely to act the next time because, well, what they did this whole big evacuation for nothing. But if they do the evacuation and something happens. Or if they don't do the evacuation and something happens, then, well, why didn't you evacuate? It's kind of the same thing here is if you, if you are, if we are successful in preventing the virus from spreading and from preventing it from getting to people who are at risk and as such are more likely to die at this virus than everybody else. If we prevent all that, these actions are going to look like they weren't needed. But in reality, they were needed because guess what? You, if you hadn't taken those actions, more people would have gotten sick. More people would have died. More people. That's what people don't get. And it's interesting because, you know, there's, there's, there's a guy in this one, he ran for Senate. I want to say he ran for Senate. Um, 12, 18 years ago? I don't know. It was a while of it. It was against 
uh, Mary Landrew, down here in Louisiana. And he's ranting and raving on this Louisiana politics page about uh, how the governor is stepping in and overstepping his bounds and it's violating our constitutional principles uh, because, why? Because he's forcing businesses to be closed, telling people they can't uh, get together and pray. Not specifically pray, but still, you know, if you ban people from getting together, groups of 10 or 50 or less, they have to be 50 or less or 10 or less, what they're saying now, uh, from at least federally, then if you're banning that, guess what? Well, you know, pe- people aren't going to be able to go to church. And the church going, people are going to be mad. Just like Mr. Jenkins is. And, oh, he says, oh, violation of our constitutional rights, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what's a constitutional right violation? You killing me because you spread this virus to me. You killing my loved ones because they're more infirmed than I am and, you know, passing it on to me. Stay your ass at home. Be responsible. And the fact that people can't be responsible is why government needs to take action. And uh, we, we should have on the show that that might very well be one of the topics of the conversation that I have with uh, Dan Berman. Uh, who not only believes taxation is theft, but probably uh, believes in various other libertarian-type ideals that um, I probably disagree with. And I look forward to having that conversation with him, uh, but not before uh, my first, the next commercial break, I should say. So when I come back, uh, hopefully we'll have Dan on the line, taking your calls as well, 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. This is Liberal Day and Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But BudgetEars is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. In a world gone mad, one progressive will do a bad movie trailer guy impression to get you to listen to his show. There's only one thing that I like better than the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. All right, Bill, that's enough of that. On the Liberal Dan Radio minicast, you will hear an honest discussion of the day's issues with some personal bits in between. You might even hear what the other side has to say, sometimes even in their own voices. So become one of the Liberal Dan family, because family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. To hear those bad impressions and more, tune into the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. Talk from the left, that's right. And I think to myself, what a wonderful show. Mm, 
Are you someone who is looking to get into the ride-sharing business, be it for a side hustle or a full-time gig? Are you currently a ride-share driver wondering how to increase your earnings? Are you simply a new rider looking for first-time rider credits? Head on over to RideshareDan.com for those first-time rider credits, sign-up bonuses for new drivers, and my tips and tricks to help you make more money in the gig economy. Greetings. This is Nimbus Josh, host of the Percy Podcast. What is the Percy Podcast? <laughs> well, it's pretty much the smoothest talking host you'll ever hear in your life, talking about all kinds of things, political things, nerdy things, fun things, not-so-fun things. Go ahead, give a listen, and follow at the Percy Podcast for more updates and information. Why not sit back and take a listen to one of the best podcasts you'll ever hear, and no one else will. <laughs> Catch you on the tune. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To in a conversation, it's area code 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. Now, uh, it's the 2020 elections. Uh, the general election is coming up in the fall. And uh, you, you've heard a lot about the uh, Democratic primaries, uh, mostly because the Republican primaries, for the most part, have been canceled because the Republican Party is trying to um, pull shenanigans and make sure that nobody can challenge uh, President Trump uh, in the primary process. So um, there are some states that have continued to run theirs, but other states, uh, these uh, state parties have shut them down. But what you also haven't heard about much in the news is uh, the other political parties, including the the one that people most likely are going to talk about when they're talking about third parties is the libertarian party and on my show now uh dan taxation is theft berman i'm born in los angeles california video producer he's a software engineer i'm a software developer so we are both nerds uh so that's one thing we'll have in common i suppose and uh, he's a supporter of free markets individual rights environmental and social issues and has delivered this message to six continents, empowering people in some of the world's most impoverished nations. And without further ado, I do want to welcome on Dan Berman. Thank you so much for being on my show. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, anything more you'd like to uh, uh, tell the audience about the show uh, before we go ahead and uh, chat about the issues? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, what I like to say is uh, I was uh, born in California. I identify as a Xin, and I'm running for president of the United States from Mexico. All right. And um, so, how long have, did you have you lived in the United States for four, the 14 years required prior to? Uh... Yeah. Okay. So, well, um, yeah. So I'm I'm basically uh, you know U.S. citizen, U.S. born. I maintain my residency here in the U.S. I'm actually registered to vote in both California and Texas because that's how screwed up our voting system is. Um, <laughs> and uh, my, my time in Mexico is really just a really long vacation. So um, yeah, no disqualifiers there. Perfect. That sounds good. So there are uh, you know, a lot of people before we get down to the, to the uh, issues that, that you are 
uh, supporting. I mean, there's a lot of people, 19 for at least 19 that I'm seeing on the Libertarian website, including uh, people that some people may have heard of, like Lincoln Chafee. Um, other people listed there include uh, uh, Vermin Supreme, who I think won one of the primaries, <laughs> the Massachusetts uh, Libertarian primary. He managed to win that one. Um, but I'm looking at the Wikipedia page uh, that kind of over, gives an overview of the primary process uh, for the Libertarian Party. You'll see, I see that there's uh, a lot of states or territories that are not listed um, that would normally have primaries. Just, you know, are these you know, just a matter of ballot access? So um, what we actually do is we have a convention process. Um, where uh, delegates from each state go to a convention, which is going to be held in Austin this year, and that's where the actual voting takes place. Um, a few of the states have primaries, and those are all non-binding. So basically, you know, if you get out to the polls and you live in a state where they have a libertarian ballot, um, you know, and there's there's different processes to, to get on those ballots. It might be petitioning, it might be paying a, a fee, um, but uh, <clears throat> once you're uh, once they have those ballots, it's basically, you know, you, you could almost look at it like a straw poll. Um, they're not binding, so the delegates from that state aren't forced to vote for whoever wins um, in that primary. Fair enough. So, so the people who go to a libertarian convention from Massachusetts are no, have no requirements to vote for Mr. Supreme. Right. Okay. So, <clears throat> so basically all of them are kind of like uh, the unpledged delegates, like either from – like in, I think in the Democratic Party, you get you get unpledged delegates in the first round if you have a candidate that officially drops out instead of suspending. Um, in the Republican Party, if there are people who don't meet a certain threshold, I think they're also some of them become unpledged as well. Um, so, I guess that's just a common theme amongst yeah, everything. So, yeah. So in this party, pretty much everybody is unpledged, um, and okay. there's not even like. Um, you know, there's no commitment, there's no pressure. Um, it's, you know, it's really just open for anybody to, uh, you know, wait until the very end and decide if they want. Fair enough. Um, so on the issues, obviously the, the main issue that everybody's going to see when they're looking at your name on the ballot, when they're looking at your website, uh, is, is the entire idea of taxation itself, but I don't want to go there first. I want to, I want to maybe try and get some, okay. some middle ground, some other areas first. You talk about uh, environmental and social issues. Um, can you maybe expand on that a little bit and maybe talk about, you know, where what the environmental and social issues that you support? Um, sure. So um, there are <laughs> there's a lot of them. Where do I start? Um, when uh, when we talk about um, um, let's talk about energy, clean energy. Um, so there's there's a lot of um, there are a lot of all kinds of you know clean renewable energies. There's nuclear, there's solar, there's um, there's wind turbines. Um, there's uh, so a lot of people are, are worried about nuclear because of some of the problems we've had in the past. Um, but there are also new um, nuclear technologies that have you know they're they're much safer. There's no possibility of a meltdown. Um, they don't have uh, toxic byproducts. Um, and, and thorium is one of those. Um, those are actually because the government is subsidizing a lot of the, let's just call it dirty nuclear. Um, that's preventing mm -hmm. a lot of the research from happening uh, to, to push the clean nuclear um, alternatives. 
Um, you've got the government basically comes in and subsidizes all kinds of um, oil and gas uh, companies, uh, coal. And so when we see that, we see more money going into that. It's more difficult for people to switch to, um, you know, their own solar when, you know, the, the cost of electricity uh, to, you know, for coal-based electricity is cheaper because the government's already subsidizing it. So the, it's really difficult for the consumer to um, – to see where their money is going and make a smart decision, and that's really forcing us to use uh, dirty energy. So um, this is a, this is a circumstance where where we could probably both agree that that a government subsidy into that particular industry is not is not needed. Not only is not needed, but is bad when it's done. So we can yeah, agree there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So you know, go ahead. Um, I'm I'm trying to think of uh, of another one. We've got. Uh, the, States government is um, the biggest polluter in the country. Um, when we, you know, we talk about all of the, uh, um, the the byproducts of war, when we talk about their irresponsibility, um, you know, spilling uh, spilling oil or, or um, toxic waste, um, that's usually the government, um, and that's because there's no, you know, if you or I were to do something like that the government would come in and of course prosecute us till, <laughs> till there's nothing left. Um, but when they do it, they're basically, um, they do it with impunity and uh, there's no consequences for that. And when we have a system like that, powering the government to, um, to create a lot of this waste and absolutely no accountability, then we actually get um, what is the biggest polluter. And, um, and so, you know, back to, you know, how do we fix the environmental issue? you stop giving that power to government and you stop tasking them with, you know, all the things that they're doing. So, I mean, government, you would say does have the, the power. I mean, the Congress does have the power to declare war though. So, I mean, we do have uh, the ability. You just don't think in, in that, you know, I would agree with you if, you know, on, on the whole idea of, well, you know, we don't need to be making, you know, all these, you know, aircraft and tanks that the military itself doesn't even want just to refund, or just to reward um, um, the military industrial complex. Yeah, the manufacturers yeah. who yeah, donate campaign. That's actually a really interesting one because there was, um, like, you know, uh, 10 years or so ago, there was this big thing where in Iraq they were, they were um, taking the tanks. You know, they, they, they build the tanks here. They fly them all, all the way over to Iraq. Um, they would destroy them and drop them in the rivers uh, so that they couldn't be used by the enemy but so that they'd have to come back and then for the next round of deployments, they'd have to buy all new machinery. Um, they've, <clears throat> I think they're doing that less now, but there's actually an auction website you can go to where they, they auction a lot of the military equipment. And there are, you know, everything from like these, these Humvees to, um, you know, trucks like, you know, Ford F, uh, F-150s and, you know, all this other stuff um, that, you know, they have five or 10,000 miles on them and they're selling them for right. $5,000. And you know that they, you know, the collectors are going to come by and like, yeah, they're going to buy them at auction. They're going to spend very little money for it. People are going to be happy. But then the government is basically going to turn around and they're going to spend another quarter million dollars to buy another one of those that they're going to sell right. off for five thousand dollars again in a couple of years. And then most likely they're going to go a lot of those a lot of those uh, expenditures, especially if you you know the military grade Humvees and stuff like that. Most of that will probably go to uh, local police forces that are using uh, seized funds to uh, try and to, to, to buy those uh, goods, I guess. 
you want to call it goods. Uh, what, what, yeah. what, what is your position on seized funds? Yeah, so um, uh, if we're talking about civil asset forfeiture, that's definitely yeah. something that's got to go. Um, you know, it's 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 basically a violation of due process, and I don't know how they justify it in their own heads, but, um, you know, there's no due process. There's no, you know, nobody's – you can't take someone's property away um, unless you take them to court and you sue them and you win. And the government is basically saying, oh, but it's got something to do with drugs, so we're going to sue – and they never have to prove that but they assume the right to take people's property away. And that's literally that like you can't get a more literal uh, definition of theft than that. Right. And, and that, I agree with you on that one as well. So look, we're, we're in a lots of agreement so far. Um, <laughs> not quite to the point where I'm going to call myself libertarian. Dan actually I have a friend of mine who might yell at that because I do have a friend locally who is a, uh, um, and that's I think one of his usernames on one of the games we play. I'm, I'm actually liberal Dan on the game too, and he's libertarian Dan. So um, nice. And so um, one other thing that we'd probably agree on is pardons. You know, you want to pardon. There's a list of celebrities you list and other people that everyone knows: Snowden, Manning, Assange. Uh, but you also list all nonviolent joint offenders that you would go ahead and pardon and release and expunge uh, all those uh, federal, I guess, nonviolent uh, joint offenders. So. Um, yeah. You also list the Innocence Project, which is uh, you know something that I've talked about a lot on this program. Um, awesome. So, so again, it's another another good thing. Is that, is that is that also like all these things that we've talked about? Are those things that are pretty much agreed on um, across the libertarian platform? Is there some disagreement with any of these things so far? Yeah, I think um, I think especially the you know the pardoning. Um, uh, most libertarians will agree on on ending the drug war, whether it's descheduling or legalizing or or, or decriminalizing. Um, I'm I'm more along the lines of uh, you know get government out of it. Um, you know, right. even though there are more dangerous drugs that do a lot of harm, it's not the government's responsibility to protect us from ourselves. Uh, because when we give them that power, ultimately we'll abuse that power, and that's how we end up in you know, the situation that we're in now, even with, uh, with cannabis, which, you know, now we're learning, um, at least the general public is learning that it was never really that dangerous to begin with, but we gave government that power and they absolutely abused it. They destroyed lives over it. Um, and you know, we just can't trust them. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a heartless organization. It's, it creates rules and it's, it's sole. um, purpose is to is to enforce those rules whatever it takes and that takes you know as much as we look to government to say like yeah it's supposed to be the the moral compassionate um leadership of our society it it really just isn't that once you create the rules it becomes just a just a cold-hearted machine that that does whatever it needs to do to enforce those rules and so that's why we shouldn't trust it with you know even even the the you know the smallest bit of power that can be abused in that way now, and I do, um, I guess I disagree with you on principle on, on what, on, I don't know if you actually like pineapple on pizza. Um, I, <laughs> I find it, I find it gross, but I do agree with you in principle that people should be able to eat pineapple pizza if they do want to. That's one of the policy platforms right. you list on your website is legalizing pineapple pizza. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, um, one of the things though, that, that, you know, I often hear libertarians discussing, um, is is the, the agree of the non-aggression principle? You know, you should not do mm-hmm. anything that's going to harm somebody else, and that's 
if I get any of that wrong, feel free to correct me. But, you know, my action shouldn't impact you. Your action shouldn't impact me. Um, as long as we're not harming each other, then, you know, government shouldn't have the authority to step in and prevent, um, you know, I guess consensual actions, regardless of what you're consenting right. to. Um, yeah, and there's a so lot like, of discussion over that, um, you know, because of interpretations of, you know, what is aggression, what is violence, what is the use of force, and those types of things. Um, right. So, you know, there there are a lot of people. It's funny. I'll see I'll see people arguing, saying the nap is good, and, and against someone saying the nap is bad, and you give them a hypothetical situation, and they both agree on what the actual outcome is. Um, it really just comes down to they're arguing over definitions of different words, and it's 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 actually kind of funny. But um, uh, I, I think that's that's actually um, uh, you know reflective of the entire political conversation. I mean, when you talk about um, uh, let's say let's say abortion, um, I don't know a single person who you know let's say somebody's uh, pro-choice. You ask them is it okay to murder? They'll say, no, of course not. It's okay to murder, but they have a different definition of what murder is or a different definition of what life is from somebody who might be pro-life. So um, it's, it's interesting that a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, definitions and, and what, what do different things mean to different people? Sure. Um, you know, but let's like, for example, I think one of the things that a lot of libertarians that I know are opposed to is like the required, um, vaccinations of individuals, um, of course, and the theory behind the required vaccination of individuals who can take vaccines um, is to protect uh, everybody else who can't take them, the immunocompromised, you know, and, and such. But um, are there people that would make the the argument though, that um, you know the the, the, right, the argument is sometimes made, which I think is a little bit faulty, uh, the right to uh, Swing your arm, swing your swing your fist, you know, stops right before it hits my face. Um, right. You know, the, the general principle of that is so if, if if you're going to choose to not, you know, get an immunization or to not immunize your kids, um, isn't that some people would say that that's putting other people at risk? That that if you could make sure that you're not going to get sick, you know, then then fine, then then you don't necessarily need to do it. But if you if you're not going to be sure that you're going to get sick. How is how is how, how do you how do you right. weigh the whole non-aggression principle with that? You know, is is it is it more aggressive to force the vaccine or to require the vaccine in order to attend a school, or is it more oppressive to to allow the vaccine to not be taken and then risk um, lacking the herd immunity to protect those who can't get the vaccinations? Right. So so there's a couple of interesting uh, things that you already mentioned, but uh, you know, so let's say. Let's say one person, um, you know, you, you talk about somebody who's got a compromised immune system um, who wouldn't be able to handle um, um, uh, a vaccine. Um, <clears throat> there are, you know, not everybody has been tested or knows if they're going to have an adverse reaction to any particular vaccine. So any person that you forcefully give that to, there is some level of risk. Now, it might be, it might be incredibly small, it might be one in a million, but to that one person that was forced to take um, a vaccination without any other options, and that's the one person that dies from it, that person was literally just murdered by a policy that says you have to take this to protect somebody else who cannot take this, um, and, and not being able to recognize that the person who died was one of the people who shouldn't have been forced 
um, to take it. Because going back to the idea that, um, you know, government's just a machine following following directions. If you're not on a special list and you've got forced vaccinations, then, you know, that's that. Now, of course, when we talk about the forced vaccinations, a lot of what that is is, you know, um, uh, let's say you have a public school. There, it's not necessarily they're going door to door and saying everybody must take this. It's if you want to send your kids to this public school, then they have to have this vaccination. And that's right. actually not um, like even even in the libertarian world. Let's say let's say this weren't a public school. Let's say this were a private school. That private school has the right to its own rules and say you know we only allow you into the school if you have certain vaccines. Um, which is, you know, the same way an animal shelter works where, you know, you can't drop your dog off uh, to be boarded if they haven't had rabies shots or, or you know, a couple others. So um, that's actually very much in line with the libertarian principle. I think where, um, where we see a lot of conflict in that discussion is that um, you've got basically a public school that everybody is forced to pay for, and now you're being told – if you want to use the thing that you were forced to pay for um, through property tax or whatever tax it was, um, if you want to use that, you have to take this vaccination. And if you don't want to, then you can still homeschool. You can still go to a private school or a charter school that doesn't have that, um, that same vaccine requirements, but you're not going to get your money back. So now you're effectively paying for two schools um, for, you know, for your kid instead of just paying for the one. And I think that's where um, that's where you get, maybe a, a little bit uh, more offensive towards individuals' rights. Okay. Um, we'll probably get to the whole taxation. I mean, that, that all then goes down to the taxation thing. Um, we're probably going to go over 9 o'clock, if that's okay. Um, I have, I, have I've, I budgeted yeah. a full two hours for the show just in case we went over. So, um, But with what's been going on with the coronavirus, COVID-19, um, you have a lot of situations where governments are you know, saying, look, you know, stay home. We're, we're going to tell these businesses that they need to close. Uh, we, we're going to tell, we're going to not allow people. They shut down a party uh, that was taking place um, in a, at a bar and flowing onto the streets uh, on Sunday in New Orleans uh, because it did exceed the 50 people limit that the governor had basically said, look, you can't have more than 50 people. We want to, you know, restrict that. Um, lots of other actions that are de- being taken places that are, that are mandating things beyond the norm. Um, beyond even what's normal, I guess, regulations. Now, um, this is being done, I guess, to try and um, get as many people, you know, into their individual locations as possible um, and not going out there and to, to, to keep the spread of viruses from going on. Now, um, I guess, you know, as a libertarian, my, I guess, prejudging of the situation would be that a libertarian would uh, probably be opposed to such things, but you're more than welcome to prove me wrong or you're more welcome to sure. show me so, that I'm right. So, um, and this is because it's a new issue. There's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of different views on this just in the libertarian circle, but my, my personal view is this. Um, it's a good idea. The social distancing um, that is going to help stop the spread. Um, it's something that we all should be participating in. We all should be washing our hands and everything else. Um, these are all good recommendations. What I find offensive is that if, I decide I want to take my own risk. I want to go to a restaurant and the, I know the restaurant owner and he says, yeah, sit down and eat. We don't care about this executive order. What's going to happen? Are the police going to come to that restaurant and arrest me um, and, you know, throw me in a prison with a bunch of other people 
probably more than 50 people in close quarters. Um, are they going to arrest the, the restaurant owner um, who's just trying to keep his business running, get a few extra bucks in so he can make sure to, to pay his employees who have to you know, pay their rent? Um, are, are these people, people going to get arrested and go to jail? Or is this just an empty threat that they're making to convince everybody to do what is already a good idea because the only way that they know how to actually get us to do something is to threaten us. And if, if that's all it is, is an empty threat, um, then, you know, we can look at this and say, look, this is a good idea, but you don't have to threaten us. Um, because that, that really is, um, I mean, imagine if, if I wanted you to do something and it was something that you were going to do anyway because you knew it was the right thing to do. But I came to you and said, and if you don't do it, I'm going to, um, you know, arrest you and, and put you in a cage. Anybody would find that offensive. Um, and so that's, that's really kind of the way I see it. Sure, but you also have the situation, though, that, that there are, like, that, the party that took place in, in, in New Orleans, you know, you had, it was on, I think it was St. Patrick's Day, and these they canceled all the parades. They canceled a bunch of everything that was going on. And these people were like, well, we're just going to throw this party anyway. We don't care. And like to me, you know, especially I, I'm not immunocompromised. I don't have anybody in my close family that, that's immunocompromised, but I do have friends who are. Um, and by doing that, they're, they're creating themselves. They're, they're becoming, they're, they're enabling themselves to be more vectors of transmission for the virus. And I think in a perfect world, you know, you would, you know, in a perfect world, you would say, um, you know, people would listen to scientists and, and trust the experts and, and take the advice that's being given. Um, then again, in a perfect world, um, I probably agree that, you know, you probably wouldn't need government because everybody would, would take the correct and proper action um, and that, that is needed to be done without any, any threat of any sort of force whatsoever. Um, but as we've seen on beaches in this country, in the past week, as we've seen that this party that took place in New Orleans, as we see it in many other places, um, people don't listen. People don't right. they either don't they, they don't care about they don't, or they don't they just don't believe the science. Which is the other problem is that we we we've, we've trained a whole big subsection of our of our of our society to just not trust what scientists say, and as such, we don't listen to them when they tell us to don't go do something that's in our best interest. Right. And I think that, you know, that, that shows a couple different points. One is that, you know, we're already facing these threats um, or, you know, these policies uh, that are telling us to stay indoors or to not go out in large groups and people are doing it anyway, which is totally typical. When the government passes a law, people break the laws anyway. Um, the question is, what are they actually going to do about it? Um, and, you know, we also have to understand that, you know, what they're asking for now is, um, they're they're shutting down restaurants and gatherings and things, but you've still got you've still got malls that are open. Um, you've still got you know all kinds of businesses that that are still open. Um, if you're if you're buying from a restaurant, there's no guarantee that the chef doesn't already uh, have the coronavirus and he's somehow contaminating all the food for all the people who are buying it. Um, you know, just because we eliminate some of the some of the major ways that this could be transmitted doesn't mean we're eliminating all of it. So. You know, here's the thing. The world is a big, scary, dangerous place, um, and there are dangers out there. And right now it just happens that, um, you know, one of these dangers is coming from other people. When you go out into the world, there are other people who might possibly have this, uh, this virus, and they can spread it with you. Um, we can all um, 
uh, uh, quarantine and say we're not going to have any contact with other people, and then it doesn't matter what, what people are doing out in the streets. It doesn't matter if there's a group of uh, 100 other people if I'm protecting myself by staying at home. Um, and, you know, and we can consider that you know, a lot of diseases are spread other ways. They're spread through, um, through rodents or through um, mosquitoes. And it's like, okay, so if, let's say if this, if this virus were being carried by mosquitoes, what would we do? Would we pass a law saying that mosquitoes are not allowed to be out after, after midnight or something? Uh, no, it'd be ridiculous. Um, what, we would ta- what we would say is we would tell people, you know, hey, if you don't want to get this, stay indoors, put up mosquito nets, keep your windows closed, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and we'd, we'd, some people would follow that. Some people would say, I'm not afraid of mosquitoes. And some people would get sick. Um, and it's, you know, that's not our responsibility to protect people from, their, from themselves. As much as we would like to say, hey, you know, if we could just press a button and make everything magically go away and um, this entire disease were gone off the face of the earth, that would be wonderful. But that's just not how the real world works. But isn't it the responsibility of government to protect people from other people? Um, in a way, yes. But how are you protecting? So, so let's say um, you have the coronavirus and I don't. Um, I can protect myself from, uh, you know, from going out in public, and I would never come in contact with you. Um, we don't need the government to threaten me. Like, you know, hey, if I, get, if I come out of my house to get the newspaper, you're outside of your house after 8 o'clock, there's a curfew, we're taking you to jail. How is that actually protecting me? Um, so, so, like, if, I, if know, I'm sitting they, there, if I'm, if I'm under a forced quarantine, let's say if the government says, look, you're sick, you need to be, you need to be under quarantine, um, you, need, you need to be in this house and you can't leave it or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, if, <clears throat> you know. And what happens when you run out of food? You can't go get food? Well, I guess someone else would probably have to bring me food or what have you. And, and Why isn't that person way? in their house in quarantine, on quarantine? Why is that person allowed to be out? So, like, you see how this goes. It's like, it's like in order for this to actually work effectively, you need, you need to, like, really, really lock down with, with an insane amount of rules. And it's, it's just not, um, you know, be, because here's the thing. You, you want to create one rule that's going to apply to everybody and it's going to save the, the largest number of people. But you have all these people who are, you know, you have people who don't have enough food stocked up in their houses. You have people who are, who are going to be helping other people by making deliveries. And those people, of course, have to be out in the community. Um, you, you have all these different, um, uh, different exceptions to the rules. And when the government comes along and says, hey, we're going to create one rule that's just supposed to blanket affect everybody and magically protect them, it just doesn't work. So, you know, going back to the idea, you know, it's okay for them to say, hey, this is the recommended thing. Put you, keep yourself in your house, lock your doors, don't go outside, stay in there for two weeks and don't have any contact with any other person, and things should be good. And, and the more people that follow that, the better off we're going to be. Um, but just because a couple people don't follow that doesn't necessarily mean that we should be running around and, and threatening to lock them up. Yeah, but the, the, the less you – the less – no one's expecting zero vectors of transmission, but the less vectors of transmission you have, the more likely it is that it's not going to spread as well. And that's, that, that's I think, the point of why you have these actions, why you shut down these businesses, why you do And, you know, I don't think they arrested anybody, anybody individually, but they did probably uh, cite the restaurant for being open, and, uh, so they probably might have to pay a fine. But, 
um, which I guess kind of, you know, the, the, the government is taking money away from people, I guess brings us to the final point, brings us to your nickname, brings us to uh, something that I have argued with uh, many uh, libertarian folk uh, about, and the whole idea is, is taxation theft. And, and you obviously would say, yes, it's theft. That's, that's Absolutely. Your, kind of your middle name right there or your slogan or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's on your hat. Um, it's on your pins. It's on your hat pins. Um, and it's a matter of whether or not you consent uh, to have this money taken away from you. Um, right. You know, and, and there's, there's, I mean, obviously I'm sure I'm going to make arguments. I'm sure I'm going to bring up things that you've probably heard before. So you might just sigh. Um, but let's just pretend that you've never heard it before. <laughs> Um, right. and, and I'll pretend that I've never heard what you've told me before either, um, and we'll go from there. Um, so why, if, if I live, let's say I can, let's assume I can leave the country whenever I want to, right? Let's just assume that that's, that that's a thing that can happen. Um, and let's assume I could move to another country if I wanted to. Um, you know, if I choose then to stay here, uh, in this country, um, why is that not um, a uh, a tacit um, Con- right? Why is that not agreement taxes that are here? Yes. So I would say this: um, your mother gave birth to you. I would assume. Um, yeah. And you're here in this country. Um, this is where she gave birth to you. Um, now you are born into a system where you are told. You have to go out and get a job. Everything that you earn, you have to give half of it to the government. Um, everything that you spend, you have to give another 10% to the government. If you decide to um, build a house or you know, own a piece of land, you're going to rent that from the government. If you don't like that, um, you can do the same thing, get a job, earn some money. You're still going to have to give half of it away um, to the government. Um, but once you save up enough you can plan, you can, you can purchase whatever travel is required so that you can go outside of the jurisdiction of the government um, and not have to pay those taxes. So basically, from birth, you're being told you're going to either pay the taxes or you're going to pay the taxes just enough so that you can somehow scrape together enough money to go on some long journey to get away from the people who are taking this money from you. Um, I don't see how that's, that's consensual. Um, and so, you know, this is based on the idea that, that, you know, um, so let's say you come to, you come to my house and I say, okay, my house, my rules, right? If you want to stay in my house, you know, you can go out and get a job and you can pay me rent. And we might make an agreement that that rent is going to be half of whatever you earn. I don't care what job you get, as long as you give me half of it, that's what we agreed on. We're both happy. That's cool. That's, that's consensual. And we can say that that's not um, that's not theft, right? Because we both agreed to those terms, um, right? But to what degree is the United States government able to say this entire landmass that covers, you know, that spans 50 states or even the states themselves, you know, in their respective landmasses? What right did they have to say this is my property? We've never set foot on any of this. Um, it's you know thousands of square miles, millions of square miles. Um, and it's, we control it. It's our property, but we never even set foot on it. We don't even know what it looks like. Um, 
but it's ours. It's our property. And if you want to be on this property, you have to play by our rules. What right does government really have to make that declaration? And I think that's kind of a correlation of, of this whole thing because you can own property, but somehow you have to buy it from somebody else. Um, and where did that person acquire that property? And why is it always that the government is, is at the end of that chain and the government is somehow just a group of, just a group of men, just like us, um, who said all of this, they pull out a map, draw a circle, and say all of this belongs to us. Um, that's, that's kind of the core foundation of that, of that equation. Now, when you're saying taxation is theft, are you talking about all forms of taxation? Are you just talking about income tax? Yes. Are you talking about consumption taxes? So um, all taxes. Um, I, I like to say all taxation is theft. Um, there are, there are you know, maybe a few exceptions where, I mean, here's the thing. A lot of people hear this and they say, oh, but the government needs money to operate. Okay, that's fine. What, what we really need to see is a voluntary way for government to raise money. And it already has those. I mean, you, when you talk about the courts, um, you know, if somebody wants to sue McDonald's for $100 million, um, the, the court, because it is, it is facilitating that entire uh, discussion, because it's, um, it's enforcing the judgment and making sure that the money is paid, they should, uh, they should be rewarded with a small percentage of, of you know, $50 million, and that covers the court costs. Um, and this is already the way that it works. Um, you look at the post office. Like, if you don't, um, I mean, aside from the, the tax subsidies that it has, um, if you don't want to use the post office, you don't use the post office, and you don't have to give them a dime. Um, that's voluntary. So that's not necessarily a tax, um, but it is revenue for the government. So what I advocate is, is, you know, every dollar that the government raises should be raised through some sort of voluntary exchange. It should not be raised through some sort of, you know, give it to us or else we're going to take it by force, which is ultimately how all the taxes work. Um, you know, when you talk about property tax, it's pay the tax or we're going to take your home away from you. It doesn't matter how much it's worth, how much you've paid off, we're going to take the whole thing. Um, when it comes to income tax, it's, well, you need a job to survive because you have to pay your property tax. So go get a job, but we're going to take half of that and keep that for ourselves. Um, there's no, there's no consent there. And, you know, people can make the arguments that, um, you know, uh, well, yeah, but if you, if you don't want to pay the income tax, you could just not get a job. But the, the, <clears throat> the system that we have is one where, you know, no matter where you're living, if you're in this country, you're paying property tax. And that I consider a tax on life itself because you cannot survive without land. Um, you know, you build a shelter, you're paying tax on it. It doesn't matter if the government had absolutely nothing to do with it. As soon as you build it, they're going to tax you on it. Um, if you want to collect rainwater, they're going to tax you on that. If you want to hunt or, or farm, they're going to tax you on that. Um, these are all taxes on life itself. And, you know, a, a lot of, um, I guess, uh, the left or the liberals, um, you know, point out that, you know, hey, life is really difficult. We need higher minimum wages. Um, we need lower rents and all these other things. But the reality is, if it weren't for all these taxes, um, we wouldn't have to work so hard in the first place. I mean, think about it. A thousand years ago, were people worried about, you know, oh, I got to work 40 hours this week, um, and uh, you know, if I don't get if I don't get all my hours, I'm not going to earn enough money to pay for, you know, to keep a roof over my head. No, that was never a thing. Um, this is well, a thousand years ago. I, I don't know if I'm getting my completely right here, but. 
Like we had things like fiefdoms where instead of, you know, instead of one person controlled the land, uh, because I guess that's how they drew the rules, whatever. And it's okay. You could, uh, you could uh, chief on my land. Uh, but again, you still have to pay um, Eve to be allowed right. on the land. So, but I mean, that's, right. And these are all, they're all kind of that same system, right? Because isn't that what we're doing now? It's like, it, it's like if we have to pay a property tax just for being on the land, is, isn't that what this is? Um, so, and, and so, yeah, you're right about that, but that's, you know, it's some different societies. And I guess, even today, you could argue that different societies do things differently. Um, but, um, you know, the, in, even in the early United States, um, there weren't property taxes. Um, and it's, um, this, this is really what the system creates. And especially, like, you know, you look, at, you look at how expensive these property taxes are. And most people don't even know they're paying them. Like, let's say you're renting. Um, if you're renting, 20 to 40% of your rent is going to property tax. You're paying your landlord's property tax. Um, right. So when people complain that the rent is too high, well, that's that's why. Um, and not only that, you, not only are you paying their property tax, you're paying your landlord's income tax because he's got to pay income tax on all the income he makes from that. Um, so it's you know this is one of the reasons the rent is too high is from is from all these property taxes that are piled in. And then when we talk about you know uh, you know somebody wants a fifteen fifteen dollar minimum wage, well. If you got rid of all the taxes in your paycheck, you'd almost double it. Um, when we're talking about the Social Security taxes, the um, the FICA taxes, and, and the income tax, and everything else, um, and you look at you know a lot of people say, yeah, but we need Social Security. Well, um, Social Security is, you know, if you if you've seen anybody who lives and depends on Social Security alone, they're not living the most glamorous lives. But if you look at anybody else who took that money and put it into just a regular 401k, they're actually doing a lot better. And, you know, one of the things we should look at as a society is, especially right now, what we're seeing. I mean, look, look at what we're seeing with, uh, with this corona shutdown, right? People have jobs that they depend on. They're living paycheck to paycheck. Now the government is ordering them to not go to work because, you know, or, or to shut down businesses, less hours, you know, everything else. Still got to pay your rent, right? And even if your landlords waive the, uh, the rent itself, they still have to pay their mortgages. They still have to pay the property tax or else they're going to lose their house. Um, and the government's not going to waive, waive those property taxes, right? That's not even on the table yet. Um, so, you know, even if the landlord was nice enough to say, hey, I get it. Everybody's losing their job. Uh, don't pay me the rent this month. They still have to come up with money to pay for their rent. So we have this system that's, that's continuously trying to drain everything and forcing us to work extremely hard just to keep what we already have, just to kind of tread water and keep our heads above water. Um, and that's, you know, this is not, this is not how human beings were designed to be, especially when we live in a society that's becoming more and more advanced where, you know, production of production of goods and, and utilities and everything else is becoming cheap, cheaper through automation. Um, you know, credit to Andrew Yang for, for pointing a lot of that out. Um, but, you know, the idea is not that we need to work harder and we need to figure out how to make sure everybody stays employed. If we really had a stable economy, we would have an economy where if everything shut down for six months, everybody would be fine. We'd have enough, you know, we, the, the food chain would still be going. Uh, we wouldn't have to worry about people not being able to afford rent or taxes. Everybody would have some savings. Um, you know, that's what, a, that's what a stable, solid economy would look like. So uh, I, I just want, you know, I, I do want to give, you know, people who might be listening to the show who might not have access to 
uh, libertarian point of view or might not have heard of much. That's why I'm kind of letting you kind of free flow yourself there and basically say and, and, and give your give your side. Um, now, what if what about people who um, who might say, uh, you know, that well, obviously I think it's obvious. I mean, if you if you reduce if you eliminate a lot of the things that you talk about eliminating, you, you need less police, obviously. Uh, but you still need that. There's still going to be crimes that are committed because there are still going to be bad people who do bad things. You're still going to need police to to enforce the laws that I think are needed. Um, you, you're going to, you know, potentially need a fire department. You know, need need to. Uh, um, and now there are volunteer fire departments out there, but a lot of times you also have non-volunteer, especially in larger cities, uh, where you know you, you need to be able to. Um, go fight fires because if you don't have a fire department and you just let the fire go, I mean, you're going to have much more damage than what you would have normally. Um, and so there tends to be a kind of a communal benefit for a lot of the things that go on. Um, you know, another thing I throw in is roads. You do have some roads that are toll-based. Um, a lot of some, some bridges are toll-based. You have some, you know, I've driven in Florida and then they have a alternate route that you can take uh, to get from, uh, one of the interstates from 75, I think it is to, uh, to get down to, um, or I guess you go from 75 to get on one toll highway and you get another toll highway and that's how you get to Disney world. Um, and so those are built, I guess, with tolls funding the toll mechanism. Now what, you know, but then other roads clearly are not funded by that. So how, how do we then fund roads, other bridges that are not toll funded? There's, yeah, like we have to understand there's, there's a thousand different types of roads, right? So let's say, um, you know, Disneyland wants to open a new park. Um, they're not going to have any customers if there's no road to it, right? So let them build the road. And this is actually what happens now, except instead of them paying for it out of their own pocket, they go to the government and say, oh, we're going to create new jobs and, you know, all these other things. So therefore, you should build the road for us. And so they take all the money that the citizens have been paying, um, they take all that money from them. They build the new road to go to Disneyland, which only benefits Disneyland. Um, and then from uh, from there, everybody else is forced to pay for it, regardless of whether or not they'll ever even drive on that road. Um, and this is this is how the federal gas tax works, where you go, you've got people in California or Florida paying for roads that they'll never drive on in New York or the middle of Nebraska. Um, so so you know that's that's one example. Um, You've got, but but in one, um, but 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 I guess in California, though, let's say you're in California and you're paying for this gasoline tax, and some of it's going to go towards New York towards the road you're never driving. Is, isn't it fair to say though that there were other taxes that were paid previously that maybe came from New York and Florida that paid for those California roads too? I mean, it's it's really difficult to trace any of that because it just goes into a big slush fund, and usually what happens is is that slush fund doesn't always pay for roads. So you know, as soon as politicians see, oh, there's they, they collect $180 million a day um, per day from us in, in uh, state, federal, and local gas tax. Um, that's a lot of money. And then when you include, like, with, you know, all the other road taxes, like tolls and, and uh, traffic fines and those sorts of things, we're up to $250 million a day. Um, this money is supposed to go towards roads, and, of course, most of it never makes it there. Um, and then you have, you know, streets that are filled with potholes, even though people are paying their gas tax. So uh, what happens is this money just goes into kind of a slush fund and the politicians are like, oh yeah, well, you know, we could use that for something else. Um, we've got, I live in a, I live in the, you know, nice neighborhood and we need, you know, a new 
park or something. So we'll take the money out of that and we'll build a new park for us, regardless of the fact that the poor people in the poor neighborhood paid for that slush fund. Um, it's, it's just going to go, and, and they're driving on potholes, it's going to go to fix the roads and the parks and everything in the rich neighborhood. So this is, again, one of the dangers of being forced to pay for something that you're not, you know, d directly receiving the benefit from um, and, and completely non-consensually. All right. Well, I mean, I just, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm disagreeing, um, but you want to have your opportunity to give your, your chance, the opportunity to share uh, your side of the story. I mean, I, I don't necessarily believe that, um, you know, that, that, you know, what I'm, I'm working, I, I, I understand that there are things that I want to have. There are things that, um, you know, I understand that, you know, need to be there, like police department, well, fire let's department. Go to, let's, What's one thing that you want to be there that you pay for with taxes? Police, a police department. Like I, I want police okay. protection. Perfect. I, I don't police department. Okay. Um, so there have been several communities who hire off-duty police departments as private security um, or, or off-duty okay. police officers. And so this is, it's a small local police department. They still have the authority because they're on duty. They're still police, but they're paid privately. And when they're, when they do this, they understand they're going to patrol a particular community that might be funded through like an HOA or something. And um, they set the rules. They tell the officers what sort of, um, you know, crimes they're looking for. And they'll usually say actual crimes. They don't care about drug use. They don't care about, you know, if somebody's speeding or, you know, if somebody is speeding through the neighborhood, they'll, you know, you know tell them to slow it down. This isn't a racket to, to raise money for the HOA. Um, and so you have a completely different policy, and uh, the, in, in a lot of towns that have done this, um, we've, we've seen uh, crime rates drop. We've seen better interaction with the police, more respect for the police, more respect from the police for the citizens, um, and that sort of thing. Because ultimately, you have, you have consent. This, is, you know, this goes back to this idea that you're paying them now. You're paying them voluntarily because you want the service that they offer, and they know that if they don't provide a good service, if they abuse their citizens, if they abuse their authority and their power, the people who are paying for them can immediately say, you know what, we don't like what you're doing, you're fired, we're going to find somebody else. And when you're forced to pay city taxes, and the city just gets a mayor, the mayor appoints a police chief, um, he hires a bunch of cops, and when those cops start doing bad things like uh, beating people up, abusing people, stealing money, um, breaking the law, um, you know, that sort of thing, and the people are sick of it, what recourse do they have? They go, to, they go to City Hall and they complain and complain and complain, but ultimately they can't do anything. Imagine if they had the power to say, we're going to stop paying them, and if, you know, if we find somebody else who, who we can hire as this person, or maybe you have the same kind of police department you have now, but you say, we're going to stop paying so that you can't pay your officers and you can't pay your chief of police, um, and you tell that to the mayor until he has to, he is forced to fire his chief and replace him with somebody who's more respected by that community. That is that is putting the power in your hands. But this whole idea of oh we'll just vote really hard and things might change, that we have absolutely no power that way. Our power comes from being able to say, you know, this is our government. It's of the people, by the people, for the people. And it without our consent, it will cease to exist. And that's where our real power comes from. So you can still have your police. You can still pay for your police. Um, but it has to be some sort of voluntary means. 
All right. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily think that, you know, that I don't, I don't feel as if it's involuntary uh, when I'm doing it. Yes. There is a certain amount of rates that I pay. And if I work more, I get, make more money. I'm probably going to pay a higher percentage on some of that additional money. If I'm making more. Take, but, take this into into account too, because the way the way you're talking, it sounds like you think your income tax is paying for the police. Well, I, I mean, my my other taxes are paying for the police, but for other things that I think are also needed, you know, there's state income tax, there's there's federal income tax, there's sales taxes, there's and you, you included with yourself the the sales taxes. When I when I make more money, I spend more money, spend more on items, which likely means I'm paying more in sales tax as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm, if I make more money to move into a bigger house, I understand that with a bigger house comes a larger property tax payment, and as such, I'm paying more money towards uh, schooling. And, and there's also things to be said about, you know, there is a, a public benefit uh, to having, like, you know, a, a better educated society. There's a public benefit to having all these things, and that maybe, um, you know, I, I think I think one of the problems that I have personally with with libertarian type thoughts is that a lot of the times I think it assumes kind of an altruism maybe that well, well if, if, if people are just left to their own devices to do whatever it is they want to do that things are going to be okay because they'll things will get handled the invisible hand will will, will work the economy the the the, the um, you know I guess we never really got to the topic of, right, of that, regulation that uh, go ahead. I don't think that's necessarily um, my view, but I, I, there, there is definitely a lot of that um, with libertarians in general. But, I mean, this is the way I see it. Um, if people want something, they'll make it happen. Um, if you want police, there will be police. Um, the, you know, the, the main problem comes with, you know, um, you know what happens when the police uh, kick down your door and shoot your dog? Um, what do you, what's your recourse? You have absolutely no recourse because at the end of the day – you know, if you say, okay, well, I'm not going to pay my taxes until you fire that police officer, you're just going to put yourself in an even worse position. Now they're going to send a SWAT team to kick down your house and drag you out of your house because you're not paying your property tax, and then you're going to, they're going to take your whole house away from you. Um, so you have to consider that, you know, yeah, you might be in a perfectly happy situation right now because you're paying your taxes, but consider what they will do to you if you refuse to pay those taxes um, versus, you know, your cell phone provider. If you say, hey, I'm not going to pay they're going to cut it off, right. and that's it. Um, but when you're not paying taxes, they will literally send men with guns with the, with the intent to hurt you if you resist, to drag you out of your house, take your property away from you, dip right into your bank accounts and help themselves. Um, this is what they do. And so this is kind of the ugly side of it that a lot of people don't like to look at, but these are the, the very real threats that are there um, if you decide that, hey, I don't like how my government is operating. It's not efficient. I shouldn't be paying them as much. I should pay them half what I'm paying them. If you try to do any of that, these are the real consequences of that. And that's what, that's what makes it best. But if you look at, like you mentioned homeowners associations, let's say a homeowners association decides, okay, we're going to, we have a homeowners association. We're going to make it, you know, we're going to, we're going to set up these rules as a homeowners association. We're going to, we're going to also charge a fee, I guess, of all of the homeowners and themselves. Mm -hmm. To, uh, to to pay a police officer to, to, to look at our streets. And then we're, okay, we're also going to, as part of our rules, we're going to um, pay, uh, we're going to you know, charge dues, and that person's going to, you know, cover the, the lawn mowing, let's say, whatever, the things that homeowners associations do. 
Um, and, you know, of course, you have the choice whether or not to live in within the bounds of the HOA or not. Um, but let's say you want to, so you want to go live there, you know, you, you, you then sign the agreement saying, okay, I'm going to agree to these terms, yada, yada, yada. Um, so let's say, take that to a larger scale. Let's say you have a a group of people who who form a, a, you know, a larger, like an incorporated city, uh, Kenner, Louisiana is an example of a city that's inside Jefferson Parish. Uh, for those people who are listening who don't know, Parish in Louisiana is like county everywhere else because we have to be different. Um, you have, you know, so you form the city, which is the city of Kenner. You you, you form the contract, and everyone votes to to form that city. And uh, again, if you, so they said, okay, well now we have a larger, basically, what it when it comes to all intents and purposes, is the homeowners association just of much larger size. And we create your rules, and you have your police departments and your firemen, and so and you agree on the model of taxation, so you all vote on it. And there you go. And if you don't like how the city of Kenner lives, again, you get to vote, vote go out. Back in the days, you had a situation where, you know, we initially had 13 colonies. Those colonies became states. And then as we as the nation grew, you formed other states and other states and so on and so forth. And people founded these states and and so on. If you see where I'm going, is this that, you know, yeah, it's, so it's, it's, at, at, there, there's yeah, some point where. Analogy. Okay. And, and you've got, you know, because an HOA is it's absolutely voluntary, you know, from the time the house is built. You know, you go there and you say, okay, I want to buy this house. I understand it was built um, in this entire community by a single developer who is selling me this property with strings attached. It's, that's exactly what it is. And you know going in that that's, that's the terms of the deal. Um, the, the problem with, um, with city governments, and, and take this into consideration, um, if you buy a house that's not part of an HOA, there's no way that somebody can come knock on your door and say, we set up an HOA, you're now a part of it, you have to pay us this money. That person could say, no, I never agreed to that. The way cities work is if a city says, let's say you have an, uh, you know, let's say you have an area with, with 100,000 people in it. Um, if that city says, you know, hey, we want to become an incorporated city so we can create new taxes and have our own police department and everything else, um, what they're going to do is they're going to say, okay, we're going to put it to a vote, and everybody who's, who's in this area out of these 100,000 people, if, you know, let's say 51% passes, we decide, hey, we're, we're now an incorporated city. Those other 49% are basically forced to join that HOA now, even though they, they absolutely did not consent to it, which is, which is what does happen when you buy into a house with an HOA. And there, there are other neighborhoods, you know, that don't have HOAs. And, of course, you know, yeah, you'll have – uh, you'll have different issues. You'll have, you know, there there aren't HOA rules forcing people to cut their grass or, or that sort of thing. So, you know, that's that's whatever it is. That's a that's a difference in the communities themselves. Um, but the the idea is that an HOA is always voluntary versus a city or government is always compulsory. It's it's you know you're being outvoted by your neighbors, and even if you don't like that plan, you're basically your neighbors are basically saying, this is the plan. If you don't like it, pack your things up, sell your house, and leave. And if somebody, like, I mean, could you imagine somebody coming to you and saying that? Like, you know, we have all these new rules. Everybody outvoted you. And if you don't like it, pack up your stuff and leave. Like, you've got to see how aggressive that type of position is. I mean, it would suck for the people who disagree, sure. But at the end of the day, 
you know, I don't know. It, it's it's it, the points that it's, you make. Definitely, I, I get it. It's a deep. It's yeah. it's a pretty deep concept that, like, you know, I don't expect you to to change your mind on it today. But um, I what I at least like to say is, you know, put put some real thought into this, and you know, maybe consider looking at it from a different perspective of what actual force is is being applied here. Because you know, I I I used to actually be very um, I guess liberal myself. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up in California, I was very much you know in favor of the government saying you know we have all these programs, we should help the homeless, the poor, and everything else. Um, and it really did take me a, a while to kind of come around to this idea that the government just, um, it, like, as much as it says it's there to help us, it's mostly there to rob us. Um, so and, I guess I guess and, the last thing know, I would ask, though, is then, because I do want to kind of, we do have half an hour technically, but I do want to sure. kind of wrap it up. Um, the, uh, just the whole, you know, the, the, you know, the charity, the people, charities are nice and good. Um, but sometimes you see hearing things about charities that, you know, they discriminate against certain people. They don't want to give help or, or they want to allow certain people into their establishments. Right. There are cases where, you know, like a, a, someone who's homeless who happens to be a trans person, uh, that person is, might not be allowed to come into um, a, uh, a center for battered women, for example, um, right. because they don't believe that you know, a trans woman is a woman. Uh, as such, that person can't get the help that they would normally need uh, without, you know, other, other, other intervention that might come in. So in, in a libertarian type of environment, you know, where if you had your druthers, but, you know, and got everything that you wanted to have, how do people um, who are the, the, most, um, the, the most vulnerable, you know, where does their help come from? Right. You know, do do you assume that it just it's it's all going to eventually come from charity? Is there any aid that's given uh, from the government to to help people who who need the help, uh, or are these people left to rely right. on family and friends if they have it? Well, I mean, you know, <clears throat> there's so many different uh, again, so many different ways to answer that. Um, you've got you've got plenty of charities that are shut down by the government all the time. Um, churches have been fined tens of thousands of dollars for letting people sleep there um, because they weren't zoned for a hotel, uh, even though they're not charging for people and it's, it's not a hotel. Uh, you've got uh, police going around, you know, when people are feeding the homeless, the police confiscate the food and pour bleach on it. Um, in the dead of winter in Colorado, the police were going around and slashing tents of homeless people because they were not set of tent city. Um, this is, you know, this is the ugly side of government, you know, coldly enforcing its laws. Um, now, of course, you know, there are plenty of private charities that operate as scams, too. So you've got, you know, oh, it's a private charity, so it's better than government. No, not always. Um, those charities might be raising money. They might be filtering the money off to their CEOs. Um, there's a couple, you know, even really big ones in, in the U.S. That, that do things like that. Um, but the truth is government is um, equally as corrupt when it comes to a lot of that. Um, when they have charity programs, I mean, Social Security is, is one of the biggest ones. We've paid so much money into Social Security over the years, and that money's not there. That money's been stolen by the politicians who say, oh, we have something better we can spend this on. And so this is why whenever there's like a government shutdown and they're always talking about, well, we don't know if the Social Security checks are going to go out this month, that's why. The money's just not there. It's already been, it's already been taken and spent for other purposes. Um, so, you know, the, the government is, you know, uh, well, let me, let me answer your, your question about trans people. 
um, I think there's always going to be some sort of discrimination. And when you have government come in with force and say, you know, oh, this person, um, you know, even though some of the people in the group are going to feel uncomfortable if this person is in this group, we're going to force this person into this group. We're going to force all those other people to become uncomfortable. And, you know, that creates – so you, you're, you're benefiting one person's rights by allowing them into the group, but you're hurting other people's rights by making them feel uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, I would say as a supporter of, of trans rights, um, you know, I would say this, this is actually – uh, just uh, a bigger issue, um, a societal issue that we need to address, where we need to become more accepting of, of people who are, um, uh, I guess, if you want to say, um, um, at risk or different from, you know, what a lot of society considers normal. Um, you know, we need, to, we need to understand that these are all people. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, that's, a change that, that's a change that needs to happen in society. Um, you know, it's like when we have uh, Jim Crow laws saying that there has to be segregation. First of all, it's government forcing segregation. And then when government says, okay, we're going to remove those laws, government gets credit for integrating. But it's, it has nothing to do with government. Government was the tool that created the segregation in the first place. And that, and that segregation was created by people, by citizens, a society who wanted those rules in place. So, you know, as, as nice as it is to say, oh, well, the government can just come in and forcefully fix this problem by telling everybody to behave properly, um, it doesn't work that way. It creates more resentment and it creates more problems. It creates fighting in between people, which can escalate into violence. What we need, you know, if we want to fix a lot of these problems is we really need to, to have these conversations and change our society from within and our, our understanding and compassion for each other and their, their positions that they're in. All right. Well, we are going to have to wrap things up, um, but I do want to give you uh, one more opportunity to just let everyone know who's listening uh, how they can uh, find out more information about your campaign. Absolutely. So you can go to Berman2020.com. That's B-E-H-R-N-A-N, 2020.com. And uh, there you'll see a lot of the policy issues, the important things that we want to tackle. Um, and you'll also see links to all of our social media pages, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, and there's a lot of really good information on there, uh, you know, for anybody who's interested in how some of these government programs work. Um, we kind of, you know, we, we put a lot of information out there to show how destructive a lot of the government programs are and why we should start limiting those or at least creating alternatives or allowing alternatives to operate um, so that we have more choices and freedom. Well, again, thank you very much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, you're more than welcome to call back other times. Good luck with the primary system. Uh, and I would definitely, uh, if, you win, if, you win the, if you win the Libertarian nomination, definitely come back on the show. We can talk about it some more. Awesome. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. Good luck to you. And that is the end of this week's episode of Liberal Day and Radio. Uh, you can tune back in next Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central, where we would discuss some of the topics of the day and see how the uh, virus spread is going and see if people are uh, self-quarantining or not. Um, until then, you can follow me uh, at Liberal Dan Radio on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Liberal Dan or LiberalDan.com or you can follow my Anchor Podcast as well. I should have a new one up there soon as well. Until next week, this is Dan Zimmerman with Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. 